Welcome to The Rundown. This is Mike Mullis. Today is January the 14th. Joining me once again in studio, managing editor Chris Seifer. Chris, how are we doing tonight? Good evening, Mike. What's good? What's good? Uh, you know, I'm a little bit salty. <laughs> a little salty, huh? Yeah, a bit, a bit of the briny tang. But uh, honestly, all of the frustrations and struggles that we have to deal with here in Square Jaw City don't really... They don't really amount to much, especially in comparison to what's happening out in California. Mm. Uh, these mudslides triggered by torrential rains and uh, the recent fires are doing some significant damage. Well, I mean, honestly, it's it's a result of positive feedback loops that have been growing exponentially, noticeably the last uh, couple of decades. So uh, this is just par for the course. Well, if that's par for the course, it's a pretty deadly course. As of the most recent reports, there are 18 dead, all in Montecito County. Um, almost 50 people are missing. Uh, more than 1,200 active rescue personnel are in the vicinity. Um, it's it's a it's a pretty significant disaster that's going on there, and it's something that we've gotten all too used to. And we've normalized climate change, essentially. I, I mean, I think California has normalized living with disaster, especially in SoCal. Yeah. Uh, so Cal, yeah, represent. So between the drought and the forest fires and the mudslides, uh, it, it it can be an un- inhospitable place, despite being one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Uh, a couple of things to note in this particular situation. Uh, if if you'll recall, earlier in the year there were uh, fires that or dwarfed this, uh, 43 people died, there's 9,000 structures destroyed. Uh, you know, they, they took one on the chin right there. Uh, consequent to that, Congress passed a disaster relief bill to deal with all the various uh, uh, issues, to, de- to deal with all of the various disasters going on in the country. It was a $44 billion bill. Zero dollars of that were allocated towards California fire relief. Really? Zero. Um, I, it doesn't really matter how you chop it up. It's a dick move. Yeah. We, we have weaponized legislation uh, in order to further political aims. It's, I mean, it's, it's not a good look, especially when people are dying. So um, a, a lot of the damage that the fires did, what they did is they kind of scorched the earth. They, uh, they got so hot that now it's kind of like glassy. Uh, and because of that, the mud... When it when it gets shifted, it just goes flying down. Yeah, there's an interesting parallel that's going on there between uh, what, what's happening in California and uh, what's happening in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, for the most part, still doesn't have power. Um, they they they're kind of hanging out there on their own in the ocean. It's a big ocean, a lot of water, uh, and they haven't recovered. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And something similar seems to happen on the West Coast because they're in that weird Pacific time zone. Um, they, they, they are the bluest of states. Uh, it's not just California. It's Washington. It's Oregon. Uh, earlier this year, there were those uh, fires in Oregon. Yeah. Um, looked like an apocalyptic hellscape. <laughs> and the nation doesn't really seem to rally in response to these things the way that it does when disasters strike the heartland or disasters strike the East Coast. Uh, and it's disheartening. It's disheartening because, you know, there, there's no such thing as 
a real American in comparison to other Americans. Right. There, there are Americans. We're all real Americans. Sure. People in California, they're real Americans, and they deserve the full support of the federal government in dealing with these monumental problems. Uh, and even, you know, no, nobody nobody is immune to it. Even Oprah's house <laughs> got hit by these mudslides. It's just a shame how everything, including disaster relief, has become a partisan issue these days. It's... Including blowing Oprah. Including even even Oprah. Oprah is a partisan issue. Item two. <laughs> Next up. Uh, segue, right? Look under your seat. Is it a presidential nomination? It's not a free house. It's not a free house. Do we get free health care? Uh, oh, no. You get free health care. You get free health care. You all get free health care. Yeah. If she ran on that, uh, I, would, I would be there. Uh, so, so Oprah gave a speech at the Golden Globes. Um, that had a markedly political tint to it. For all intents and purposes, it was a very presidential speech. Yeah. So, so the, there, there seems to be some intention there. And you know, Oprah's a, a wonderful lady. Um, when she's a billionaire, she's worth almost four billion dollars. And in this case, we could be pretty sure that she actually has billions of dollars. Yeah, this is actually documented. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's actually uh, filed her tax returns and. <clears throat> Now, should we should we be okay with Oprah becoming a front runner in the 2020 presidential race? What does that say about the country? Um, but Oprah has always represented kind of an aspirational element to it. Uh, you know, if Oprah could do it, you could do it. She believes in you. We believe in Oprah. Uh, in terms of our public personality, she's been one of the most positive and optimistic. Does that mean she should be president? What if what if Joe Biden gets the nomination? And Joe then, Biden will be seventy eight. <clears throat> that's in fine. Twenty twenty. Look, entertain my hypothetical here. Joe Biden gets the nomination. He makes Oprah his vice president, so she gets that hands on experience. And then we have Joprah. <laughs> so there are, there are some some concerns uh, in the whole project, uh, namely. Like Dr. Phil, is Dr. Phil going to be the director of the Health and Human Services Department? You know, Dr. Oz, you know, this is kind of some hucksterism there. Uh, kind of, kind of, uh, not necessarily the best track record in terms of her, the people that she has promoted on her show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Phil is just recently found to have been plying his studio guests with alcohol and drugs and then dr oz with with his homeopathic remedies is yeah it's a little sketchy it's a little sketchy sketchy. Uh, sketchy but you know that that doesn't disqualify oprah herself i think she would do a fantastic job i think she she is smart enough and capable enough and and more she has more than enough emotional intelligence in order to go into that role and make it work but but there's a problem there uh and that problem is back to back TV host as president. Uh, There's an argument to be made that, uh, you know, once you elect Donald Trump, you don't go back. You don't get to undo that. Once you go orange, you've made a terrible mistake. If you go from Trump to Oprah, what does that say about the republic? What does that say about uh, representative democracy? What would the Federalist Papers have to say on that topic? I I don't think it would be a, a really strong look going forward. I think that would pretty much be the end of the American experiment. Now, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the country. 
No. I, Oprah would probably end up in some sort of emperor role. <laughs> uh, Hearn Stedman ruling. So Seth MacFarlane, who is a, a funny man who does cartoons, he, he had a he had, he had a tweet. He he's he has been very on point oh, yeah. throughout all this. Uh, Absolutely, extremely articulate. He he tweeted, "Oprah is beyond doubt a magnificent orator, but the idea of a reality show star running against a talk show host is troublingly dystopian. We don't want to create a world where dedicated public service careers become undesirable and impractical in the face of raw celebrity." That was on Twitter. That's facts. Man. Wow. Good stuff. Well, you know if it's on Twitter, then it has to be true. Then that's not the case at all. <laughs> and and uh, in that vein, Mark Harris, who who is a, a playwright, um, very well respected. You can Google him. Check out the Wikipedia. He's, he's a renaissance man of sorts. He, his comment was that, I don't really see Oprah running for president, but the thing about Trump is norms don't get suspended. They just end. He and voters ended the norm of traditional qualification, so here we are. And if that is the case, if, if the traditional qualification is really no longer a driving standard in who we elect to the most powerful office in the land, where will that take us? What, what does that mean? Is the presidency become more of a figurehead role? Is it purely symbolic at a certain point? Or? Well, he's more of the chairman of the board, and he assigns his board of directors, i.e. the cabinet, and the chairman of the board is just a figurehead. And that's where we're at right now. I wouldn't have a huge problem with it, except for the fact that, you know, he's got the nukes. The, the nuclear codes yeah, are part of the, the deal. Yeah, there is the nuclear issue. Yeah, maybe, maybe if we just kind of separated that out. And, and unfortunately, they are inextricably attached to each other. Why? A different topic for a different time. Oprah 2020 could happen. Um, man. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of over the whole, we need someone who's not establishment. Like, we just need someone with some fresh ideas, with a fresh uh, perspective. Someone who has their finger on the pulse of what is actually going on socially. I think I think maybe we just need somebody who could do the job. Yeah. Just, well, you know. well, there is that, too. Yeah, just fo- focus on that. Don't, don't, don't worry about the, the more uh, audacious kind of trappings. Yeah. Just, just, Man, we gotta we gotta fix a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because you know, right now, American government is kind of a shithole. Shithole. The word of the day is shithole. The cable news networks were absolutely giddy with the opportunity to curse. On well, they jumped on it. Oh, it was man, amazing. They were all over it. It was very shit entertaining, hole. actually. Shithole. This was during the negotiations for uh, immigration reform. It was a big deal. The DACA protections that had been that had been suspended. Um, it, it has become a political football. It is a pressing issue. There's lives at stake. People people need to know if they're going to be able to stay in this country or, uh, you know, if they're going to have to, you know, leave. What? It's eight hundred thousand. It's a lot. It's a lot of them, and and you know, in my estimation, they're Americans. So so during the negotiations, and uh, part of the tragedy here is that Lindsey Graham had put together a pretty effective bill. So there was a lot of border security stuff in this bill, and there was also a solution to the to the Dreamers issue. And Trump, for whatever reason, threw a fit. Um, I guess he was upset that part of the bill would allow. Uh, people from certain countries to continue coming to the country uh, from places like El Salvador, Honduras, 
Uh, and he said, you know, why are we letting these people from these shithole countries into this country? They're, they're trying to escape from difficult situations, but I don't think it's fair to say that they're escaping shitholes. I mean, the thing about people is they, they are always going to love the lands of their fathers and mothers. They're going to love the land of their birth. Uh, it's all relative. I mean, it's, it's, these are difficult situations, but they're not shitholes, man. Come on, you got to have a little bit of decorum. As my Nana would say, it's tacky. It's tacky to say that, man. And then, of course, it's, it's not even necessarily about the places. It's about the people. He right. says, why? Why are we letting these people in? Why don't we let Norwegians in? I mean, the Norwegians have a fantastic standard of living. They're really not interested in taking those spots. Yeah. Uh, the Norwegians are fine. The Finns are fine. The Scandinavians are fine because they're socialist countries. Yeah, they have free health care, free college. Mothers get a year off of maternity leave. Strong safety nets. Extremely. As far as those shithole nations go, uh, we do about $46 billion worth of trade with those places. Ooh, that's not a negligible amount of money either. Get that shithole money. Hmm. Um, as, as a consequence of this, Trump canceled his U.K. visit because I guess he was mad about Obama uh, closing down the embassy there, but really it was Bush. I mean, there, there, there's always a fucking... There's, a, there's always dumb stuff involved. Well, you know, that was just a uh, smokescreen yeah. anyway, because over a million people signed a petition in London. They don't want him. They don't want him. They there. don't want him there. So uh, that was him, quote unquote, getting ahead of the problem before it became a problem. I mean, for, for, for the Londoners, it's not really an issue of the United States being a shithole. It's just an issue of the president being a shithead. Or an asshole. There's lots of ways you could phrase it, and there are varying degrees of uh, gratuitousness. <laughs> Botswana, Botswana uh, pull, pulled a, a power move. Um, they called on the U.S. ambassador to clarify if their country is included in the list, which was kind of funny. I thought, you know, are, are, are we... Included in your shithole list. <laughs> I mean, a point to, to, to the point. Bill Crystal, who is a well-known conservative sure, thinker, sure. He, he he tweeted that two weeks ago, a 26-year-old soldier raced repeatedly into a burning Bronx apartment building, saving four people before he died in the flames. His name was Private Emmanuel Mensa, and he immigrated from Ghana, a country Donald Trump apparently thinks produces very subpar immigrants. It's just something that you have to kind of rise above, I think, to a degree. Speaking of rising above, here's a good one. I'd always hoped that this land would become a safe and agreeable asylum to the virtuous and persecuted part of mankind, to whatever nation they might belong to. That uh, sounds like a George Washington quote. My man, George Washington. And little known fact, George Washington actually owned slaves. So at this point, the slave-owning white men uh, who founded this country are more progressive than Donald Trump. Well, that says a lot. Human bondage. Tough stuff, man. Let, let's uh, let's talk about something crazy. Fusion GPS, man. So th so this is a long burning story, and it just kind of dropped out of the blue, out of nowhere. This thing, uh, just, this thing blew up, and people have been waiting. You know, there's been a question going back and forth for for a long while now, as to whether or not this testimony would actually be released. Uh, Diane Feinstein, who's on the committee that conducted this hearing, has been arguing that we should release this testimony. The people who gave the testimony believe it should be released. But for reasons unknown, 
two of the Republican senators on the committee, uh, it's going to be Graham and Grassley, they have been trying to bury it. They don't want they didn't want it out there. You are fake news. So uh, for the listeners out there who don't know about Fusion GPS, is this the uh, PP tape? <clears throat> this is this is the company that that put together the Steele dossier. They, well, not them specifically. They subcontracted the job out to Christopher Steele, who was a MI6 agent in British intelligence, a Russianologist, a man who absolutely knows his stuff, who has contacts throughout the intelligence world. They said, hey, let's get this guy to go look into these things that that our clients are wanting us to investigate. And this was opposition research. It was originally uh, paid for by Republicans. They wanted to try and get something on Trump so they didn't have to deal with them. And then it was picked up by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And so there's always been a question of politics here. Like, is this a political deal? Is this a, is this a hit job? Is it a witch hunt? Or is it, you know, these, are these guys doing a good job? And I think the testimony that was unilaterally released by Senator Feinstein this week kind of clears that up once and for all. These, these guys are rock solid. Um, and if you go through the testimony from Glenn Simpson, who's the founder of Fusion, you, you find that these are not amateurs. These guys are not playing around. These guys know what they're doing. And what they found is uh, really, it, it begs belief. It, it it's hard to even wrap your hands around it um, in terms of in terms of this narrative, in terms of this story. This is, this is the most significant political story of our lives. And I think the reason that this testimony was was uh, buried is because it's just so unbelievably explosive. You are fake news. So uh, so so what happened? Basically, Steele contacted the FBI after he did his investigation because he believed that Trump was being blackmailed either by the infamous PP tape, uh, drip, 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 PPP. But all, or, or it's possible that the compromat, which is a Russian word for compromising information, which is what the KGB trafficked in heavily. And if you follow world events, you know that Vladimir Putin ran the KGB and then he ran the FSB and now he runs Russia. So he, he is the spookiest of all spooks and uh, developing compromise on his enemies is, uh, you know, part of his game plan. That's what he does. Um, so it's possible that the compromise is something as salacious as, you know, underage hookers peeing on a bed that Obama slept in, which is kind of gross. And and there's there's cameras. They found cameras. Yeah. But Donald Trump went on the Howard Stern show and said, "Hey, they you have to be careful in Russia because they have cameras everywhere." It's kind of a weird thing to bring up. Uh, but yet he knows nothing about Russia. No, nothing, nothing. Never, never even been there. Yeah. Uh, but maybe the compromise isn't simply salacious in nature. Um, there, there's an argument to be made that the compromise might be financial in nature due to Trump's long-standing ties to Russian organized crime, money laundering for international crime organizations. Uh, and, and once we get to this part of the story, it, it kind of goes sideways, man, because we're talking about a massive international criminal network uh, that spans the globe, that is involved in any kind of criminal activity you can imagine, and it's real. It's like, it's like the bad guys from G.I. Joe. Exactly. I can only think of four letters. R-I-C-O. Ricola. Rico, not suave, though. That is definitely a, a, if you're talking about, you know, Cobra, 
it's definitely a Rico case. Uh, and uh, apparently Trump is very heavily involved in all that. And, and that was Fusion GPS's independent objective findings. Uh, you know, it seems unlikely that they're bullshitting on that. Count. Yeah. Um, they, they seem to know what they're talking about. And that's why Steele went to the FBI. Uh, and what happened then is uh, he actually decided that the FBI wasn't handling this the right way. There was a New York Times story on October 31st, a real Halloween special in the transcript, um, that said that there was no story here, that there was no relationship between Russia and Trump. And it was kind of a sketchy story when it came out. And in retrospect, it seems to have originated with the FBI New York office. So Simpson testifies uh, in the hearing, I understand Chris severed his relationship with the FBI out of concern that he didn't know what was happening inside the FBI. There was a concern that the FBI was being manipulated for political ends by the Trump people and that we didn't really understand what was going on. So he stopped dealing with them. So now we're not just talking about, you know, this uh, international criminal conspiracy. We're also talking about the FBI being compromised at, at the highest levels. And part of that kind of feeds into the belief that big Jim Comey, when he wrote that blockbuster memo a week before the election, he was unaware of this. He didn't know. Nobody told him. For reasons unknown, he was kept out of the loop. And, and that's really the crux of this story. That's really the crux of this scandal. Uh, and it's really the pivot point on which the republic is rotating. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we fall off that knife edge. But this testimony really lays out in a manner of detail and uh, exhaust, exhaustive explanation uh, what's happening in a way that simply had not existed until Diane Feinstein said, screw it, you guys are dicking around. I'm going to release this testimony by myself. And it's not a leak. It's not a leak if it's on one of the ranking committee members' website. That's just a release. So, you know, shout out Feinstein. Mind-blowing, man. Mind-blowing stuff. Special comment on the fake the fake news awards coming up. I feel I feel very strongly about this. Um, it's something that's really bothered me. Donald Trump is going to have his own special award show next week to honor the fake news outlets, the CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, the uh, free press that he has so often found himself in opposition to. He's going to have a party in the White House where he essentially attacks these organizations from the bully pulpit. It's like a Lugan Press Olympics. I don't feel good about it. I don't think anyone should feel good about it because the First Amendment is the first one for a reason. It's the cornerstone on which all of our other freedoms rely. Because if you can't agree on the facts, if you don't have a free press to try and contextualize an objective understanding of what's happening, then what are we relying on? They have to know what's going on. And you're not going to know what's going on just reading stuff on Facebook or on Twitter or you know what your friends and family say anecdotally. How do you determine what con what constitutes a fact? How do, you, how do you do that if not for the press? People act like journalism is, is kind of a, a simple gig where 
just kind of make stuff up, I guess, and talk to people. Chris, you have a degree in journalism. Why don't you explain to our listeners exactly what journalism is? Journalism is understanding a story. It begins and ends by identifying the stakeholders. It's not simply a matter of reporting on on what's factual. It's a matter of reporting on what's important, what matters, why it matters, how it matters to people. You know, some some put it in terms of giving a voice to the voiceless, um, empowering the powerless. Yeah, I think uh, Trump uh, maybe ran on something like that, didn't he? Maybe populism, you know, the silent majority, isn't that po- like populism? Is a, a, a tricky thing. Um, it's a sexy beast, isn't it? That's a dangerous beast. Yes, indeed. Ride that tiger. Yeah. Uh, and you know, journalists are often full of themselves. It's true, uh, but it's but it's absolutely an important, critical role in a functioning democracy that people are able to point to something and say, "These people have put a lot of work into understanding this, and what they're saying about it." is probably true. And if you don't have that, if everything's fake news and the only thing you can believe is what the people in power are telling you, the people in power have no reason to self-regulate. Uh, and that, and that's what this awards ceremony is about. It's about delegitimizing the press. It's about attacking them. It's about undoing their role in this country. And once you undo that, where are we? Where are we then? What's left? Are we participating in the fake news awards? Yeah, I believe we are. Every day, every hour. You are fake news. Fake news. Nah, it's bogus. And and you know it's funny. I appreciate what the late night hosts are doing with it, but I feel like there should be stronger condemnation across the board from the decent parts of American society. This isn't something that should happen. Well, you know that comedy is the easy road to the heart. I mean, if you can laugh about something and also shed light on the seriousness of an issue, and then you kind of kill two birds with one stone, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. So I guess we'll see what happens when he hands these things out. One weird part about it is it kind of seems like a, a bookend. There was the White House Correspondents' Dinner where some people pointed that as being the genesis of Trump's run for the White House in 2016 when he was roasted. Obama got up on stage and absolutely ripped him up, man. Made him look foolish. Uh, Seth Meyers did as well. And he, he, was, he was very upset visibly. He did not like that. And now, you know, on the flip side, we have the fake news awards, which is Trump's own dinner. His revenge, if you will. And I, I, it kind of seems to me like... Is it actually going to happen now? Well, I mean... Is it is it a scheduled thing? Like, has he booked a venue? Has he... Well, I mean... I mean, is it a real thing? We've or? been talking about it for 10 minutes, so... I hope so. That makes it real. I mean, otherwise, uh, we're fake news. You are fake news. It's like... Uh, it's a paradox. The Uh-oh. fake news paradox. Uh, where do we go from uh, here? No, I, I think it will happen. I think this is what he cares about. I think this is the only thing that really matters to Trump in terms of uh, governance. This, this is why... He went to the White House. That and, you know, all the crazy Russian stuff that defies belief. But in terms of, you know, Trump's own wants and desires, he wants revenge against the press for never accepting him and, in his mind, belittling him, even if it is somewhat deserved. And uh, I I think he is going to do it, and it will be a shameful day. It's a disfigurement of the American character. It is an affront on the Constitution. And 
hopefully, hopefully, it's a turning point. Hopefully, all we can do is hope, right? Hope and change, or is that the wrong campaign message? Am hope I, and change forever, man. Hope and change forever. Thank you, Obama. We appreciate you. Really do. So I want to thank you guys for joining us today. Next week, we're going to talk about Fire and Fury. My copy of the book just arrived today. I'm going to check it out. We'll talk about it, maybe, if it's important. Do a book report. Chris Seifert, thank you for joining me in studio oh, today. Always, always. Shout out Marina Guanas. Um, I'd like to especially thank all the beautiful mothers out there. We appreciate you so much. Watch out for fake news, y'all.